With the holidays coming up and 2017 quickly approaching, we thought that it was extremely important to address marketing trends that you can expect to see. Today, we talk data, personalization, the next level of customer service, video content trends, and right time versus real-time marketing on this episode of the Content Marketing for the Future podcast. Happy soon-to-be holidays and welcome to the Content Marketing for the Future podcast. Amanda here and excited to bring you updates every other week on the newest trends in content marketing. As the Principal Analyst of Futurum Research and CEO of Broad Suite Media Group, our guest for today's episode can also be found having written articles for Forbes. Here to tell us about 2017's marketing trends, let's welcome Daniel Newman. Hello. Welcome to the Atomic Reach podcast. It's good to be here. Why is it now more important than ever to be data-driven marketer, and how is this different than what we've done in the past? Well, I think the big challenge for most companies now is that we have so much data to collect, and there's so much information available to us. And this has put a lot of marketers almost in a pause, or they almost become paralyzed by the amount of information available to them. And this whole topic of big data and data-driven has caused some marketers to really be unsure of how to move forward. But the reason it's more important than ever before is basically we have the opportunity now to understand our customers so much better than we ever did in the past. And this is being provided through the data of the systems that most of us run within our companies. And whether that be our social tools, our digital marketing, our marketing automation, our websites, and of course, all the internal tools, our CRM and ERP, we have a more holistic view. I wouldn't necessarily say a 360 degree view, but we really know what our customers are are looking for. And therefore, this isn't something that's just limited to our own company. This means our competitors have this kind of access. New companies that we're not familiar have this kind of access. So it's really important that we realize that as companies are transforming and customer experience expectations are transforming, we have to be delivering our customers what they want, when they want, and where they want it. And this is something that I always refer to as right-time marketing. And there is no way you can deliver right-time marketing to your customers without using the data that's available to you. Mm-hmm. Speaking of right-time, we will be talking about that a little later in the show. But from what you've just said, I was just wondering, what sort of data do you look for? Like, What sort of metrics or what sort of platforms do you do you think of when you're like they deliver great information to me with the data and how to put it to use well i think that question gets um you can't generalize that question enough you know every business is a little bit unique and the real opportunity that comes with big data is the little insights that you can extract so i think it starts by asking questions about what your business is trying to accomplish so obviously every business is trying to grow their revenue but you know, it could be everything from new customer acquisition to customer satisfaction improvement to reduction of customer attrition to the increase of employee employee engagement and satisfaction. These are data points that can help a company reach that revenue goal. So if you're saying, you know, hey, we can accomplish a growth of 10% by decreasing the customer attrition by 2%, then you might want to say, what kind of data can we access from our customers that 
tells us why they've left or why they haven't renewed or why they haven't continued to uh, buy our service or promote our service or why have our current customers not been better referrers of new business. So when you start with the questions in mind, then you can start to look at what tools and technologies are available to you. And then that kind of cycle kind of builds on itself where you can then expand your questions, expand the areas in which you're investigating how data can be put to good use. But my recommendation to most companies is get off the sidelines and start your data projects. Even if it's just one project solving one business problem, what data could you purchase? What data can you acquire through your systems? What social data is available that you could easily access through you know, the social tools that you're using that will help you get better insights that you can then align with your strategy so that instead of your leadership being gut-driven, it becomes truly data-driven. Thing is, is there's a lot of people talking about us being in this post-data era or post-digital era and everybody's doing it, but the, the data actually doesn't say that at all. A lot of companies are still running very much like they have for a long time. They're running on gut and intuition. They're using data in very, very minimum ways, if at all. Or they're, you know, something I always talk about, which is data skew. They're using the data to essentially prove what they already believe because it's very easy to kind of twist and spin data to tell you a story you want it to tell you rather than actually looking at data very objectively for what maybe an insight that you didn't already know, or maybe an insight that's not what you wanted to hear. Well, I, I think obviously it starts by going into your data projects with a, you know, an open mind of what's possible. You know, a lot of companies like there, here's a data point, 80% of companies believe that their services and solutions are truly differentiated from their competitors. However, when you ask customers the same question, only 8% see their suppliers as truly differentiated. So a great way to start is asking your customers. A great way to start is saying, hey, we want to better understand what's you know, valuable about our solution to you. Here's a simple questionnaire. Here's a way we can, you know, we want to do better for you but we actually need your feedback. We need your help. And here's a, a caveat to that. A lot of companies, you know, salespeople and executives will talk to their best customers and get feedback, you know, much like you get, you know, referrals or, or even um, recommendations from good clients. Um, so they'll ask the people they know are going to give them the answers they want to hear. Just an, ex, a, a, you know, an expansion of what I was talked about when I said data skew. But you need to also talk to customers who have left. You need to talk to customers who are new. You need to talk to customers who have, you know, complained and ask them, well, what do you recommend we do? And then look at how we take that feedback. That, for instance, is data that you can capture and collect that may tell you what you don't want to hear, but opens your mind to what's possible if you could correct those issues that maybe a set of clientele who have less vested interest in telling you what you want to hear have to say. Yeah, I mean, when for most, including us, thinking backwards, like, hey, maybe we should contact those people who stopped using our platform. Maybe we should ask for some feedback on why they stopped it. You know, most I think a lot of people don't think that way because they want to focus on the return that they're getting from the, the active customers. Right. And a lot of times, sometimes you think you know why they left. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you do know why they left. But sometimes you don't. As your company grows, too, you know, when you go from startup to more established business and you have instead of 50 customers, now you have 500 customers or 5,000, you don't have access at a senior level to be tracking all those relationships, but you have to have a vehicle for feedback. 
And you know, customer feedback and the data inside your company is some of the most critical data. And sure, we'd love to talk about you know the data you can buy and acquire and the data that comes from IoT and sensors and the data that's gonna come through virtual and augmented reality. But sometimes it's like, here's the data that's sitting right in front of you. We've you know, earlier you asked me a question about different than what we've done in the past. Well, we've had data at our disposal for a long time. We just have some better systems for visualizing it now. And I think we've just become more aware that there is all this data that can be collected and used to improve our business decision making. So next year, marketers will have access to even more of their customers' information and will be able to use new digital innovations. So how will these new tools drive business? And do you think we can finally close the loop on their objectives, analytics from the standpoint of profit, revenue, customer retention and satisfaction? Well, I think with all, all the new tools that are available, it's it's there's you've got to walk a really fine line. The next set of tools won't fix a problem if you don't have a good methodology for utilizing data and utilizing customer insights to enhance your business. More tools, more data, more information doesn't actually do anything mm-hmm. for your business until you apply it. So I think the question mark becomes putting new systems and new strategies in place first. Mm-hmm. And it really kind of goes back to my beginning of what you're trying to do with your marketing effort. You know, like I'm more in a B2B space as are you guys. So a lot of your efforts may come down to targeted lead generation and maybe with a little bit of, um, you know, uh, branding as a goal for people Mm -hmm. to become aware of your company. Whereas, you know, for Fritos and Doritos, it's, it's, (laughs) it's broad awareness is a key to them. It's getting people in the stores to get them to try them. Yeah. Right. Is the key getting them to rebuy, figuring out, you know, who is their demographic so they can make sure their marketing, their broad marketing is targeting that exact buyer. You know, and that doesn't mean you don't do segmentation and demographics for a B2B customer, but your targeting effort has to be a lot more specific. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think what it's going to come down to is using new tools to really understand your segmented customer, you know, focusing on things like account-based marketing and how do you drive very specific offerings. And as I mentioned before, that right time marketing, that right time information source, content in the in the right channels at the right level that customers can really embrace and then utilize Uh, to learn more about your company, to determine that you are one of their key solutions providers so that you get on that short list when they finally do reach out to the sales department. Right. So on the topic of having enough tools and having more data is not going to solve anything, what about in the far future when people are more so talking about artificial intelligence or bots doing everything for you? Well, let me be clear. More information will help you if you have the systems to utilize it. So I'm not suggesting more information is not better. I'm suggesting that most companies who are possibly listening to this podcast or who are just, you know, digitally transforming their organizations do not have a sound strategy for data utilization to maximize that data for new customer acquisition, customer satisfaction. So more of it doesn't fix the problem. I think it starts with methodology. Um, As, you know, AI grows, you know, I kind of like to look at it as there's kind of two, there's like, you know, an X and a Y axis and there's two lines being drawn. And there's a very, very slowly rising linear type line that's basically human potential consumption of data. We're getting better at consuming more, Mm -hmm. but as humans, the magnitude of how much information we can consume, understand and leverage is only growing, you know, a little bit, right? But the growth of data as a whole is kind of on this exponential curve. And, you know, a few years ago, it was sort of the line was below the human potential. And now that line has kind of 
you know, it's it's crossed over the linear line, and now it's kind of going exponentially straight up. So if you can visualize this, there's this huge gap between humans' potential to co to consume information and then utilize it, and the amount of data that's available. So the way I see it is the next step of artificial intelligence is going to be helping us to utilize all that information in a productive way, to be able to aggregate, collect, and you know extract valuable insights from that huge pot of data that can basically become helpful to the marketer. Um, because there are many you know qualities of humans that cannot yet be replicated. You know, yeah. machines don't have empathy. Yeah. <laughs> and they, you can't replicate that yet. That's not to say that a chat bot can't answer the frontline questions for a customer service department. That's just to say when a customer is dismayed or distraught about an experience they had, a chat bot's going to really have a hard time yeah. discerning what kind of response is going to support. It's going to, it has to basically be programmed. Mm -hmm. So machines have a little bit of an empathy problem. So don't get me wrong, AI is going to fuel the future of marketing in a lot of different ways, but I don't think marketers are going to get replaced. We're just going to have to evolve. Mm -hmm. On the note of the chat bot, I had that experience exactly a couple of weeks ago. I was online shopping and my order didn't go through and I got an automated message when I pinged them. It was it was kind of cold or like, we'll get back to you within whatever, or is this the answer to your problem? And it wasn't, and I was very angry actually. Yeah. I had to contact them through social media in order to get a real person to respond to my problem. Yeah, well, I mean, I think that's kind of the problem is, you know, we're looking for that rapid solution to fix everything. And um, at the very least, um, it's not. So <laughs> <laughs> so we got to keep working and doing our doing our thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. So we've seen companies like Coca-Cola create personalized products for their customers, but how can B2B marketers capitalize on the personalization wave too, especially when it comes to social media marketing or content marketing? Well, I, I, you know, there's a lot of different ways you could potentially approach personalization. And by the way, I have a couple of those Coke bottles with my name on it. So I, I think that's, <laughs> I think that's very, very nifty. Um, you know, I, I don't know that marketing to someone who's buying ERP software needs to be personalized with a jacket with people's name on it. I think this is where, you know, there's a little bit of discerning personalization in terms of getting you the right content at the right time, kind mm -hmm. of, as I mentioned with right time marketing mm -hmm. versus, you know, people wanting to have their new pair of Nike shoes also have their initials on it. One's a style. It's very personal. It's what we wear. It's what reflects us. The other is, you know, a B2B buying decision, which while can be done with a lot of emotion, in fact, more than half of a B2B uh, buying decision is made emotionally, mm -hmm. even though it is, is business. But it's still going to be, I'm looking for being, you know, helpful as, you know, the well-renowned uh, customer service expert Jay Bear wrote in his original book, he talked about utility. So I think a lot of personalization is coming down to usefulness. How are we creating content that's getting to the right place that's very helpful for us at different mm -hmm. stages of the buyer's journey? This is still a little bit content marketing 101. And this is where things like what you talked about with like AI can help us get smarter and the utilization of data with AI could help us really get smarter at doing this. But it's still like, I need to read that ebook 
you know, <laughs> early in the process, but I need to know that this is the right ebook for me. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the problem is there's so much content that's been created that most of the good stuff has kind of been lost in the shuffle. It's become real noisy. Yeah. But how do we find what's very valuable for us? And how do we get it in a format that's not spam? How do, you know, we use social listening to hear somebody on Twitter or here's somebody on LinkedIn who's asking a question in their community, in their user group about is, you know, is SAP or Salesforce a better solution for my CRM solution? And being able to get a cue on that and then say, hey, here's a great paper that we just created that can maybe help you figure this out. Um, so I think a lot of it's going to be plugging in those layers mm -hmm. of technologies over some very common things, which is when we want to know more, whether we're buying a car or we're buying software, we want to know where can we get the information that we can trust. Mm -hmm. So how are companies creating that content and getting back to creating it with some quality? And I hate to you know, pick <laughs> on people, but I think content marketers have gotten so into the volume yes. and so into creating so much content so fast yes. that the stuff we're putting out is just garbage. It's just, you know, you read this and you're like, this is an ebook. It's like seven pages long. It's less than 500 <laughs> words. And you're making me give you an email address to download it. And now you've got my name and I'm just pissed off at you. I don't want to talk to you. With all the subscriptions and the emails they send you every day. <laughs> and now I'm going to get 50 more emails from you. And all I wanted to know was the seven best techniques for getting somebody to respond to you on Twitter. I mean, so, you know, this inbound thing, and, and, you know, as a guy who owns a media company, I mean, I really do believe that there is a place in this world still for quality. And while, mm -hmm. yes, you know, the highest numbers and the vanity metrics and all that win, I think part of personalization is giving people content that really actually helps them, mm -hmm. which goes back to my comment about utility. Right. To answer to that as to giving people quality that really, their content, content that really gives them quality information. Um, we just came back from the Gilbane conference last week or two weeks ago, and somebody aligned their sales and content strategy with their customer journey. So they had content for every stage of the funnel, which we never thought to do, <laughs> surprisingly. And I'm finding a lot of new or newer early businesses don't think that way yet. You know, they just follow the trend, go to BuzzSumo or Google what's the news in content marketing and that's what they publish those topics so it's the same generic information over and over again yeah no absolutely and there's so much of that and there's so many of the same five tips ten tips you know <laughs> I, I started a site in 2009 or 10 maybe 2010 called 12 most and it became 12most.com and every article was 12 most something. Mm -hmm. And we were putting out three or four articles a day and within like six months we were generating 100,000 pages a month. Wow. And they were just lists and in the beginning it was kind of fun and everything was spunky and unique and mm -hmm. personal. But over time you just start to realize the garbage that got produced <laughs> in order to, to meet that demand. Yeah. But people would click on it and it's just like when you got to the homepage of Yahoo or anywhere else and you know, you'd know you see, oh, seven best places to retire or five <laughs> jobs that will pay you over 100,000. And you actually get in these articles and they are just crap. It's just more crap to feed you advertisements. <laughs> and, you know, in the end, like I said, you got them there, they clicked there. But just imagine if you could get them there, get them to click there and then actually give them something yeah. they need. Mm -hmm. That's what we're, people should be striving for is, yeah, you have that snackable content. Yeah, you have that shareable content. But is that your end goal as your business? Is, is it just to have shares or is it to get engagement, establish a following, have, you know, loyal users. 
Yeah, and, and there's so many different reasons, and I think that's why it goes back, and all this technology and all these tools, they don't matter if you don't know why you're doing it. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of marketers, they don't know why they're doing it. They just want to push numbers, you know? And, and their CEOs or their CFOs or the people that are funding marketing programs don't know what they're doing. I can't tell you countless people who have high-level marketing roles inside of companies that I talk to, they can't do the most basic marketing tasks. And this is just a problem as a whole because if you can't – define the question you're trying to answer, how the heck are you going to execute a strategy for a company? You know, you got to define, do you want to build your brand? Do you want to build leads? Do you want to, you know, um, build social profiles? And I mean, it may be a combination of all of them, but for most companies, it's not just like roughly a third, a third, a third. <laughs> it's like for some companies, lead gen is 70% of why they have marketing yeah. for other companies. Like I said, Doritos probably doesn't need lead gen. They want brand awareness. Mm -hmm. You know, they don't need you to opt into their white paper on why Cheetos leave too many, too many orange marks in your house by Doritos, <laughs> you know, but for a company, like I said, that's selling software, they need quality leads to feed to their sales force because their sales are closed that way. Mm -hmm. Definitely. It depends on if you're B2C, B2B and what you're selling. I totally agree with that. No, I absolutely do mm -hmm. too. So at Atomic Reach, we always promote creating text-based content using your engagement data so that your content is able to adapt with your audience's preferences. But with video content continuing to prevail when it comes to engagement, how can we compete or like so many others incorporate a real video strategy that works alongside our text content for like your blog or email campaigns? Well, I think the... the this is goes back to what I just talked to you guys about. Like, what is your purpose of doing video? Is your purpose because you've determined that a, a percentage of your audience would prefer to, to consume content using video? So mm -hmm. for instance, a company like yours, it may be about educating people in a very simple way about what Atomic Reach does and how it does it. It may be about building trust and showing a little bit of the brand's personality. Mm -hmm. So when you come to the homepage of Atomic Reach, is there a possibility for, you know, a CEO to, to deliver a message or, you know, my favorite, it's like the Dollar Shave Club, right? How they actually <laughs> showed their personality with a viral video. And, you know, of course, every executive on the planet goes, well, I want you to make a video and I want it to go viral. Well, yeah. that's, well nowadays you have videos all day long on Facebook that are getting millions of views that, that, don't convert to anything, mm -hmm. right? They're not actually showing uh, any revenue. So the video has to have a purpose. Where in the funnel does it belong, right? How mm -hmm. many videos are you creating? How consistent are you? So, you know, I create two to three videos a week. I don't do a lot of live video mm -hmm. because I prefer to put a little editing on the video. Not even so much editing my content, just putting, a, you know, the title cards on the videos and making sure that you have a little bit of professional lighting and that, you know, if you have some gaffes, you clean them up, but not necessarily like full studio edited. But my point is, I'm, I've got questions or I'm talking about a topic or something interesting that's going on that may be similar to something I blog. A lot of times I'll embed videos inside of a short article. So I'm using the best of both SEO content marketing that we're familiar with and then adding a video and then making sure those videos are put into channels where videos are viewed. Mm -hmm. A lot of people may not view the video on your website, but they'd view it on your Facebook page or they would view it in your feed or you want to make that content really, really shareable. So I think you know, and I guess it's kind of thematic to this conversation, but, you know, I don't think you can tell you what your strategy is based on what other companies have done successfully with video. I think you have to say, you know, would a video tutorial help? So someone that's getting started with Atomic Reach, uh, for instance, you know, I remember when we used it and it was embedded in our WordPress. Um, and yes, I'm raising my hand. I've used Atomic Reach. <laughs> you know, and like, and I think, I think you guys would be the first to admit it. This was earlier on in your guys' existence. And um, it was, it was, 
intuitive, but it had some confusing points. So if I could have, for instance, gone in and said, hey, here's a five-minute video that's kind of like everything you need to know to get started. And if I'm the kind of person that prefers video over written content, that would be a perfect piece of video content for right. me. Okay. And, then, and then there could be like a series of deeper dives, right? Mm -hmm. How to, you know, develop content in particular for a highly technical audience, right? What are the differences? Because I remember you guys rated the content based on the audience that it was geared towards, Correct. which yep. is very interesting. So, you know, but a lot of times you'd go, well, I don't know. This is saying my audience needs to be highly technical, but I'm writing this for a general tech market which means it could be some people that aren't. How do I fix that? Oh, cool. There's a video <laughs> would tell me how to do that. So it follows a lot of, you know, with what your content strategy is for written content or a podcast strategy is you have an audience that you determine wants video. What do they want to hear on video? And then can you create them short, high impact videos? There's so many gurus that are going to tell you it needs to be two minutes long. You need to have the right lighting. They need to be put out on Tuesday at three o'clock because that's <laughs> All the great, the great viral videos go out. And I would say in a B2B setting like yours, it's does it create value? Does it help your user and, do, you know, do better when they have the product? And possibly does it help the person that comes to your site that doesn't understand what you guys do quickly understand what you do? Mm, those are some great tips because we do have a YouTube channel that has tutorial videos, but we never really thought of how else can we what what else can we do? We've had that at Gilbane. We had at, that at the conference where someone's like, so if I'm writing for this audience, <laughs> I need to write for this one. How do I do that? And then we'd stand there and explain it to them. So if we just filmed that. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, sometimes you can just create a video that actually answers a question. It was a lot like how content marketing started and became successful. It was what questions do your customers have? Can you create a, you know, a, a kind of a uh, long form FAQ so that people can search and find the answers very quickly on your site or through Google. Oh. It's just expanded if you kind of think about that strategy. Right. I never thought of it that way. I kind of jumped into content marketing a little later than most, and I think that goes back to why people are still doing it, I don't want to say wrong, but not as effective as it could be, is that they're, it's, they're stuck in the beginner phase of, okay, I learned this, I'm working in the industry now, and I'm good. Yeah, and I think people get stuck in their ways. They get comfortable. I've seen a lot of marketers kind of that came up in a certain era of content marketing struggle with new content marketing strategies. Mm -hmm. And so people who are very into blogs have struggled as the movement has moved to video. Yeah. People who are really good at Twitter haven't really figured out how to be good at Snapchat. And, you know, of course, the question mark always is, do you need to be good on all those platforms? Is it relevant to you? Is your business need to be on Snapchat? Does your, you know, just, you know, that's a social question, just like content. Do you need a medium blog? I don't know. Do you believe you have an audience on medium that would benefit from your content? If you think so, then yeah, you know, does the opportunities that are going to come from that community outweigh the expense and investment that you're going to have to make to be on that community and to be consistent? So all those things, you know, are, are questions you have to ask. And I think a lot of marketers don't ask a lot of questions. It's kind of like a spray and pray <laughs> philosophy. And, you know, I think that can do good for some, but most companies have limited resources and budgets for doing their uh, content marketing. So they have to pick and choose. And I always say pick and choose wisely because it's easy to make the wrong investment. We've, uh, we've tried the spray and pray method because you think in your mind, oh, I want to be on every channel just in case our audience is there, when in actuality, they're probably not going to be and you're not focusing on the people who will actually want to talk to you. <laughs> absolutely, yeah, you're absolutely right. Mm -hmm. 
So as marketers, we know that it's super important to launch marketing campaigns at the right time to generate the most buzz. So how will 2017 help us get this, get this practice of right-timed content versus just creating content in real time? Oh man, so now you're asking me about the right time, real time yeah, marketing, come to the right? Topic. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, essentially this is where understanding where people are in the buyer's journey. This is where utilizing best practices with web techniques, collecting data, uh, you know, a lot of companies you see are inserting cookies on their website. Some companies have put real time chat assistance on their website. Some of them are real time, real people. Some of them are real time chat bots. Um, you know, it's understanding where people, what are the different phases of your journey and getting that kind of full customer view. And this can be done in different ways. Obviously, if you can afford advanced analytics tools, this is a great way to get that across the spectrum. If you can do some sort of customer feedback co data collection to understand your customers, your current customer's journey with a decent cross set, that also can help you. It may not be statistically relevant, but it'll at least help you to understand the right times to put the right content in front of people. You know, it's understanding that every time someone hits the option, in button to download your ebook, it doesn't mean they're ready to buy your product, mm. right? What are the stages in between downloading your free ebook and asking somebody to meet about potentially buying your software that may want to be considered? And I guarantee you, in most cases, there's probably 10 phases in between. Um, and it's when you understand what those different phases are, it's okay, you're now in our ecosystem. We have you on our list. This is where you are in the process. This is the next piece. This is the next thing we can invite you to, to move you along. This is a funnel, people. It's not a new thing, yeah. but it is something that has to be managed and, and people have to be respected because, you know, I, I always, I start off some of my keynotes when I get on stage and I, and I ask them a question and I'll say, you know, how many emails do you think I receive a day from, you know, from newsletters? How many newsletters and e-blasts do you think I get a day? <laughs> and, you know, not that I've opted into all of these lists because I think a lot of people just use your email and just opt you into stuff, but <laughs> you know, usually it's like two or 300 a day. Yeah. And <laughs> you know, with two or 300 emails a day, I say, how many do I open? And I said, you know, really the number is zero, mm -hmm. uh, maybe one, you know, if someone really catches my, my eyes. So, you know, that's kind of back to that spray and pray. What are you actually offering to people of any value that would make them want to continue this journey with with you. So say you got the top of funnel right and you created that right early piece of content. You got them to opt in. That's not the end. That's just the very beginning. Mm -hmm. So how do you keep these people engaged and in, in, in your funnel? And that's where kind of that right time becomes so important. It's using the data. It's using the, the insights that you have about your buyer's journey to say, okay, what comes next? So how do people find that out? There are some different tools. You know, there's companies that create that, you know, uh, companies like Salesforce and IBM, you know, and, and I don't want to, you know, do too much name dropping since no one's paid <laughs> me to do that. But they have journey analytics tools that can basically look if you're an e-commerce, you know, type company, they can get a lot of detailed analytics to understand how many times people come to your site, how many times they fill up their cart and then leave before, the, you know, yeah. you can really understand that by when you're a B2B, it comes down to a little more qualitative data, right? Mm -hmm. It's a little more subjective data as to what made them initially come into your ecosystem and even decide to start talking to you. What was the information that they read from you? What was the third party information? Did they read from the analysts? Did they read from, you know, third party uh, expert sites? Were they reading on Forbes um, that they were collecting that you know, kind of useful insight, then how far in that journey were they and who were your competitors at the time in which they finally did enter the sales cycle? 
And then what information did they need from the time they entered the true sales funnel? You know, right? They went from a market qualified lead to a sales qualified lead. What information did they need to get them from there into, uh, you know, an actual buying part of, you know, into a buying decision? And once you have all that, that's like where you can replicate and repeat. You can put systems in place. You can incorporate marketing automation and then obviously high touch customer engagement and ongoing customer uh, data collection to make sure that you're tweaking that automation to continue putting the right content in front of people at the right place. And automation is not a bad word when it comes to content <laughs> marketing. Automation is a good word, but it's a bad word because most of the people use it incorrectly. Yeah, I, I automation has helped me reduce the time I, it takes to do a lot of the tasks and with the small team that's the most value you can get out of any tools and when it take it reduces the time for you in anything and we're looking into investing in a marketing automation tool because it's it, it will help us organize the data better and create strategies around that rather than doing it manually and then we're missing something and then we end up asking more questions yeah absolutely no there's there's got to be a, a plan and a purpose behind everything you do mm -hmm. so on a more personal note, how are you getting ready for marketing in 2017? Well, you know, like every other company does, you know, the, the principals and executives inside of our different organizations are, are looking ahead for strategies, you know, developing and expanding on the products and services we offer, um, figuring out how to keep the customers we have happy and how to, you know, approach and, and find the new ones. And then, you know, working on our own content plans and strategies. You know, I've written five books in five years, so it's pretty much a guarantee in the next year there will be another book. Um, you know, people still like to read books and they still are a great opportunity to research and better understand the marketplace. So, you know, my focus really is on, you know, the bridging between technology and marketing. And, you know, I hope that more and more companies start to see that, you know, it's still a people first world, mm -hmm. but as a whole, um, you know, marketing and is going to be disrupted by what technology can do. It's already happening. It's happening right before our eyes. So we have to figure out, you know, what is the right way to help companies go into this next, uh, this fourth uh, industrial revolution, this uh, era of artificial intelligence and automation and utilize the tools and marketing to become more successful and deliver customers more of what they want when they want it, where they want it. So to leave our listeners with something to take away for 2017, what message would you like them to, what action item would you like them to do right when the year starts? Well, if either they can hire me and my companies, <laughs> which would be a great first step. And if they, if they choose not to do that, which I don't know why anybody would not do that, um, I, I would, you know, potentially... Um, you know, tell them to send referrals to me. Uh, no, I, you know, it, it's a, you got you know, it's a really, it's a really great question. I mean, I think it's getting your heads down and starting to focus on asking some of the right questions and really getting yourself wrapped around the goals you're trying to create and then backing into, you know, the kind of strategic deliverables you're going to create to accomplish that. Um, you know, far too many companies focused on way too many objectives. You know, my, my podcast, uh, smack talk, uh, with Brian Fanzo, he does another one called FOMO fans and okay. FOMO is fear of missing out. Yep. And he's all about this FOMO, try every new technology and every new tool. <laughs> and I'm all about his FOMO too, because I let him try out every new technology and then tell me which ones I should actually waste my time with because time is money. And for a lot of marketers, it's getting in the right channels, picking the right areas to spend their time on. And I highly recommend not 
jumping on every bandwagon and every shiny new object, but figuring out where are your customers and spend your time there creating better experiences because that's why we transform our marketing department and that's why we transform our businesses. Well, thanks so much, Daniel. Your insights have really been helpful in getting us ready for the year that is quickly approaching. That was a really great ending message to finish off this podcast. No, it's been great. I really appreciate you having me on the show, Amanda. Much appreciated on our end too. And with that, listeners, I hope you are able to gain a bit more insight as to how to improve your marketing strategy specifically for 2017, especially when it comes to the tools you use to better your customer's experience. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Atomic underscore Reach, and make sure to follow Daniel at Daniel Newman UV. Read his articles on Forbes that will consistently keep you in the loop when it comes to how technology is affecting multiple industries. The team and I would sincerely like to wish you a happy and safe holidays full of laughs, food comas, and finally having the time to catch up on your reading list. That's it for now. See you all in the new year. Amanda signing off.